It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic podcast, two of football's greatest coaches of all time. Nick Saban retires, Bill Belichick and the Patriots part ways, both gone within days of each other. They're not dead, not at their respective jobs anymore, but we take a quick look back at their careers and their time together with the Cleveland Browns. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, it's late. (laughs) And it's a late show. Uh, We're going to come off of this eventually. But for right now, it is what it is, but we're still producing. The papers don't stop, baby, and neither does the show. NFL historians and lovers of sports history, welcome in. This show is for all of you, for you all. And um, I always say this, you know, if you already know about this stuff, that's great. I mean, it's it's not necessarily for you. Um, Congratulations. But there's always someone else who does not. That's why I am here. Hey, this shows for those who don't know as much about NFL history. And so we are to do three things that is enlighten, teach, and learn. It is the Behind the Mic podcast. I am your host, Michael Neal Jr. The show is presented by Belly Up Sports, Belly Up Media, Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. Go to our website, bellyupsports.com. Click on it. Check out the stories, the merch, and all the shows, especially this one. I'll always say that. And uh, you can catch us on our home base of Megaphone and also the favorites, the fan favorites, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, YouTube. Now, my show isn't on YouTube yet, right? I'm still stalling. But anyway, uh, let's get right to it. So takeaways, takeaways, takeaways. I know I'm like really late. It's, It's Wednesday night. It's like 9.21 p.m. Um, What were the takeaways from the divisional round? NFL playoff time, right? Pure dominance, a comeback, the best story in the league, and a surprise. But let's just be real. Not really a surprise. Let's get it started. It is the rundown playoff style. We start off Saturday, AFC divisional round, Texans-Ravens. This will be real fast. First half of the game was close, and that's only because Baltimore special special teams, they gave up a 67-yard punt return by Steven Sims. All right, well, 
Game was tied at 10 at halftime. Second half, all Baltimore. <laughs> they outscored Houston 24 to Jack in the second half. C.J. Stroud and the rest of that offense, they got introduced to the best defense in the league. The Ravens, they continue to play that way. It's, it's what it is. There were no touchdown passes by Stroud. And even though he didn't throw a pick, nor was he sacked, he was constantly pressured, right? He was very limited. And uh, you know that's what it was. Houston only rushed for 38 yards on the day. And that was led by uh, Devin Singletary's 22 yards and a 2.4-yard average. Nico Carl Collins, milk carton, five catches, 68 yards. It's what it was. I mean, that defense is uh, very good. <laughs> they are very good. The Ravens, on the other hand, offensively, Lamar didn't have to have a whole lot of yards. It doesn't matter what you do with the yardage, right? Um, he just ran for 100 yards even, ran for two scores, and, and he what, ran out of the stadium at one point, right? And then he throws for, what, 152 yards and throws two touchdowns. No picks. He got sacked three times, but who cares? I mean, that D'Amico Ryan's uh, uh, defense is pretty stout. It is. Um, it's going to take them a little time. It's their first time going to the playoffs with this group, right? But offensively for the Ravens, they didn't need to do anything else. And, you know, that is uh, Lamar's game, and that's the Ravens' game. They ran for 229 yards on the ground against Houston. And uh, even though Ryans is a very good defensive coach, they're just playing against a way better team. And I think that they'll end up winning the Super Bowl anyway. Could be wrong, but, you know. It's off to the AFC Championship game for Jackson and the Ravens. And the Ravens 34, Texans 10. NFC Divisional Round. Very interesting watching the Packers 49ers. Watching this game... And I could just make this real simple. The Packers just would not go out, uh, away. They would not. And part of that is because Brock Purdy really didn't play that great. Didn't, you know, fumble or throw any interceptions. Just was uh, inaccurate at times. But uh, look, you know, he didn't play great until the end. If you're not perfect. Not everybody's going to play perfect. But this is the playoffs. They've never been in this spot before. And then they put a graphic up that I believe all 49ers fans on television and in the stadium, they knew that I think I think the number was that Kyle Shanahan is like was was like 0-30 when trailing by like five points, you know, with some change left to go in the fourth quarter or something like that. Not a very good uh, record, right? <laughs> but uh, during the game, they lost Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey just really couldn't seem to get really loose. Uh, on offense, not to mention the 49ers defense, they couldn't stop the Packers seemingly. They couldn't stop a nosebleed. Both teams were going back and forth. It was 21 to 17 Packers. And the 49ers had the ball what early fourth quarter and they had to punt after eight plays. And it was looking good with just over nine minutes left to go in the fourth. Up 21-17. Aaron Jones takes a pitch. They're at the 10. Okay, 90 yards away. They're at the 10. Aaron Jones takes a nice little play, a pitch to the left, and he weaves all the way back to the right. A 53-yard run and broke a 51-game streak by the 49ers D that had not allowed a 100-yard rusher. And, yes, if you listen to the broadcast, they did make the point that, look, the 49ers are always up in their games, right? And uh, they, there's no need for well, the, the team they're playing against, they're having to throw the football to get back in the game a little more quicker, right? Well, yeah. Anyway, they, they allow Aaron Jones to, on the day, finish. After that carry, he had 107 yards. 
Stay with me. Aaron Jones finished with 108 yards. Okay, I'll leave that right there. Their drive stalls. Anders Carlson, the rookie kicker, missed a 41-yard. A gimme. And here's the thing. What tripped me out is they say on the broadcast that <laughs> head coach Matt LaFleur just kind of closes his eyes and prays that Carlson's going to make his field goals. That's not good. It really isn't. He does. He has the range. He has range all over the place, but he's all over the place with his accuracy. But you know, but that wouldn't be the only 41-yarder missed uh, during these playoffs during this week. But then it happened. San Francisco takes the ball to the house in 12 plays. Brock Purdy, he's leading this game-winning drive, completing passes left to right, and picking up first downs. And remember, it's raining. Okay, it's raining in San Francisco. Um, a little bit of Christian McCaffrey running the football sprinkled in, but he's catching a lot of passes too. And with one minute and seven left to go in the game, Green Bay six-yard line, McCaffrey scores. They finally take the lead back. Jordan Love gets the ball back, and you're thinking, okay, well, they'll probably get it together. I'm rooting for the 49ers, okay? But, you know, he had played very pretty well to this point outside of an interception that he threw earlier. And he throws his second and last one to Dre Greenlaw that got them sent home for vacation. You can't throw the football, roll it to your right, back across the field like that. There were three red jerseys around Christian Watson. I don't know what he was thinking either. And he was trying to force something that just wasn't there. Oh, well, maybe next year, 49ers, they're hosting the NFC Championship game this weekend. 49ers 24, Packers 21. Sunday, NFC Division around, Buccaneers-Lions, favorite game of the day. Three years to the day, as a matter of fact, you know, that Sunday was Lions head coach Dan Campbell's introductory press conference. Three years later, they win the game that will put them in the NFC Championship. When he was talking about biting kneecaps, I'm thinking, how long till this guy gets fired? Biting kneecaps? Really? Now, it's a t-shirt. <laughs> so, of course... There was the pregame chatter between Lions cornerback uh, C.J. Garner-Johnson and Baker Mayfield. I mean, yeah, you probably do need to watch some film, Mr. Johnson, if you're naming receivers off of paper, one that hadn't even played for them all year because he got hurt. But anyway, um, the former more than the latter. Said it all year long uh, that the Bucs, they really can't sustain being carried by Baker Mayfield throwing the football. But, I mean... I was both wrong and I was right. The kid threw for 349 yards and three touchdowns. Can't take that away, but it was the two interceptions that did Tampa Bay in. You must remember in the playoffs, it's not about numbers. It's about what you do and when you do it. All right, that's both being a playmaker and your mistakes. It was a game where Detroit, you know, would score and then Tampa would counter, kind of like a boxing match. And the question was, who was going to flinch first? Mayfield's first interception by Garner Johnson, of course. He flips the ball to Mayfield at the end of the play. Guess he didn't like his retort. But I'm guessing he was upset that Baker told the truth about needing to watch film. But look it up. Uh, that pick turned into a field goal, and eventually the Bucks tied the, foot, foot, uh, the football game at 10 by halftime. Well, fast forward to the fourth quarter. The Lions are up by 7. It's 24-17. They're going on a 10-play drive. After a Buccaneers three and out, it's 31 to 17. The people are celebrating. Jared Goff has just thrown his second touchdown pass of the day. 
He's playing great. Uh, the lines are looking great. Defensively, you're just not trusting because they just keep giving up plays. If you watch that game, you're thinking six minutes, 22 seconds left, you know, pretty much over. But then Mayfield takes his team 75 yards, and now they're down eight points. Tried for a two-pointer, didn't get it. They forced the Lions to punt. They got a chance, and then Mayfield makes his second and final fatal mistake. Their second play of a potential game-tying drive gets picked off by linebacker Derek Barnes. And for the first time since 1991, the Detroit Lions are going to the NFC Championship game. Get your Campbell's kneecap soup, Lions fans. Get your Campbell's kneecap soup. Oh, man, get your T-shirts. I like the T-shirts. Lions 31, Buccaneers 23. Final game, AFC Division around. This one, uh, I needed a cigarette afterwards. Uh, Chiefs Bills, six weeks ago, Patrick Mahomes was cussing out referees for a legit call that may or may not have been a hair late. You know, Kadarius, Tony lining up offsides. They get a potential game-winning uh, touchdown pass which went to Travis Kelsey who threw a nice lateral to Tony who scored but you know whatever the Bills opened this game you know Mahomes uh, you know his first role playoff game by the way with a Stephon Diggs fumble that ended up being tapped out of bounds purposely then you get a penalty on top of that and this actually turned into really a back and forth game it was a little rough for the Bills, but you if you watched it, you had the confidence the Bills were going to win this game because they could not be stopped the first three quarters. Back and forth game, surprisingly, Kansas City's defense um, been pretty great, uh, great all year long. They was giving up so many rushing yards, kind of like the first game. And also surprising, yes, surprising, was the Kansas City Chiefs offense actually scoring touchdowns after selling for two field goals. Keep this in mind, though. Kansas City hadn't punted all game long while Buffalo was forced to punt twice. Then they fake a punt. DeMar Hamlin giving the football back to the Kansas City Chiefs on the Buffalo 32. That was dumb, all right? But Buffalo lucks out. Isaiah Patinko, the first carry he gets on the first play, he takes it all the way down to what, the like the inside the five. And then... They give, they shouldn't have went finesse. They give the ball on a nice little play to Miko uh, or Hardeman, who that's not the first time we've seen him fumble like that. He fumbles the football into the end zone for a touchback. But I must say this, Buffalo doesn't have the best track record when it comes to kicking in the postseason. So you fast forward to the fourth quarter. Tyler Bass, he's been Mr. Automatic for the Bills has yet to attempt a field goal this entire postseason. Less than two minutes and change left to go in the game. And, uh, I mean, they force the Chiefs to punt, finally. You know, a after uh, a potential, what was it, um, uh, either a sack or a fumble. But they finally force Kansas City to punt the football, okay? And then <laughs> they, they can't convert. They drive, and then Bass has another one of those gimmies, and he misses it. I felt terrible for the guy. I really did. He misses it. You know, they have a chance. They really did, and that Buffalo offense could not score in the second half. They scored one touchdown in the second half, and then they just went cold, like literally cold. 
But the Bills offense, they on fire the first half, flamed out and basically ran out of gas in the second. Although they've beaten Kansas City three straight times in the regular season, they have yet to beat them in the postseason. This might be a little mean, but Buffalo Field Bills fans at that game, Serves you right. Stop throwing snowballs during the game. I mean, throwing them at the players. I love to throwing the snow in the air uh, when you when your team scores, but you know, one of these days it might cost you. Anyway, Kansas City travels to Baltimore for the AFC Championship. Chiefs twenty seven, Bills twenty four. Coming up next, perhaps the two greatest coaches in both college and NFL history are no longer at their respective jobs anymore. Nick Saban retires from the University of Alabama. Bill Belichick and Bob Kraft, they agreed to call it a career in New England. Well, you know, on Belichick's part anyway. We don't know what's next, but, you know. What Bill Belichick did in New England, though, was supposed to happen in Cleveland. That at least was the plan. guess I'll start here you know with all the great things that a new year can bring you know you got some good things you got some bad I mean I uh two years ago I lost my mother in January I lost my grandmother last January and you know sometimes it, it you ever notice in the new year it's, it's some good things that happen and then you get all these people that like pass away whether they're famous or maybe even people in your family and that, that could really be a bummer right uh, but then there's some great things. There's, there's some good things that happen. Um, we've both seen, we have seen um, Michigan win a national title. Uh, and then like Lions fans, I know that they're really celebrating because they're in the NFC Championship game for the first time in 30 plus years since 1991. Uh, you got some coaching changes. I just, Harbaugh, speaking of Michigan, Harbaugh is now the head coach for the, the uh, L.A. Chargers. And speaking of other head coaches, we got Antonio Pierce. He's officially the Raiders head coach. And we have a new guy in New England who's not necessarily new. Former linebacker uh, that played for Bill Belichick. Gerard Mayo. That's great. You got two black head coaches that are in the fold. I, I think that's awesome. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, I mean, happy for, you know, so, for some and then some – some others, it may be saddening. Uh, but when you look at all these different changes that have been going on, right? So what it's been what two weeks now? I had to wait because I wanted to make sure that I got some stuff right and how I was gonna build the show for this moment, for today, or tonight rather. Um, there are those happy and those sad and involved in the both the NFL and college football world, particularly Alabama football fans and fans of the New England Patriots. On January 10th, Nick Saban announces his retirement from college football, and I think he's staying on at a, at a different role and capacity, um, just no longer the coach. And then uh, January 11th, the next day, the Patriots and Bill Belichick, they agreed to part ways after 24 years uh, there in New England. In my opinion, the two greatest – football coaches in the history of football this side of like Paul Brown I like uh Bill Belichick uh, I don't love the New England Patriots because I have problems with them because of me being a Pittsburgh Steelers fan 
And I, I just tell you, if you're not familiar, and I'm sure plenty of you football fans are, the play that defined my relationship with the New England Patriots was when, and I, was, I remember the guy's name, the defensive back, but it escapes me right now. When Gronk catches the touchdown pass, it was a regular season game, and he literally points down at the DB and he throws his head back like he's a cartoon, belly laughing at the guy because he can't cover. I remember leaving the room after that, and my brothers are just looking at me like they just they just laugh. I mean, I was I was done after that. Just couldn't beat New England. But anyway, you know, today we're looking at both Saban as well as Belichick. There are some people that just did not know that they coached together in Cleveland with the Cleveland Browns back in the mid-90s, the early 90s more so. And, um, you know, that was Belichick's first job. And it just came at, at – at, it came at a time when the Browns were, let's just say, they were running out of gas personnel-wise. But just looking back at it, we, we're going we're gonna to look back at it. But if you don't know their resumes, and I'm sure most of you do, well, let's kick the music, and here we go. So when you look at Nick Saban, for instance, let's let's go. Well, actually, let's start with Belichick. Let's start with Belichick. Nine Super Bowls at a, as a head coach. They've been to the Super Bowl nine times. Nine. And the guy has six, six, six Super Bowl rings, okay? Three Super Bowls as an assistant, three Super Bowl appearances at least with Bill uh, Parcells, two rings with the Giants as his defensive coordinator, and then one appearance with the New England Patriots because he was fired from Cleveland, and he ended up going back to Bill Parcells, and they went to the Super Bowl and lost to the Packers in a pretty decent game. Um, but Bill Belichick's regular season record, what, 302 and 165? He's one of only three head coaches in the history of the league Paul Brown and George Hallis, they're the only other two with 300 regular season wins. Postseason, 31 wins, most in NFL history in his entire career, 333 total wins and only 178 uh, losses, a 65% win percentage. Three-time coach of the year, NFL All-Decade team, uh, 100th All-Anniversary uh, All-Time team. And, you know, the, the guy has all kinds of, of accolades. I mean, you may not li have liked him as a as a person, but y'all don't know him. <laughs> a lot of people don't know him. Um, I don't even know him. But, you know, you may not like the press conferences. And then you throw the other little uh, scandals in there. I get it. Uh, Nick Saban on the other side. Well, in Alabama, this guy is the only coach to produce uh, a first-round draft pick at every position, offense and defense. Okay, <laughs> that's 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 bananas at the University of Alabama. And when you look at his career and the national championships and everything that the guy did, the guy's six titles. He's got six titles. That's the most in the history of college football. Um, eight SEC championships, five-time coach, SEC coach of the year. And again, he's the first to win two natties, two national championships at two different schools. So, you know, and that's just Nick Saban and the guy that came before him, Bear Bryant, the only two SEC titles for two different schools. 
you know, Alabama had zero Heisman winners before Saban got there. Yet what now? When he got there, Mark Ingram, uh, then he had Derrick Henry and Devontae Smith and Bryce Young. You know, and then his culture tree is pretty plentiful, just like Belichick's. So I mean, these are guys who are loaded. Uh, the way the things, you know, went for them career-wise, and then you know this guy—they're—they're they're very close in age. I think they're only six months apart. They were both born in 1951. Saban was born on Halloween, for God's sake. <laughs> so, but it's the humble beginnings for me uh, that really got me as far as um, both of these guys. When you follow their career arc, okay, the way that things came together for them. Um, with and I, you know what, I guess I can start with Nick Saban. Nick Saban actually was the first one in his family to actually go to college. He ended up going to Kent State. He didn't even want to be a coach, right? And Don James asked Saban, who had, you know, he actually got married to Miss Terry, Terry Saban, way back then. And he was asked to stay over one year because he's, you know, he was supposed to be finishing everything up, right? And he was asked to stay on to be a grad assistant by his coach, Don James. And, you know, his last conversation turned out to be with his father was that he was basically going into coaching. His father died on a jog. I think he had a heart attack or something like that. Um, but with all of that being said, he goes into coaching and he pretty much finds out that he's pretty good at it. Well, let's go over to Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick, this man was born up under the nose of a coach, okay? I, I watched the football life, the 2009 one on Bill Belichick. He was actually born here in Nashville, Tennessee, for those who don't know. And uh, I think he was born in 1952 uh, to Jeanette and Steve Belichick. In that documentary, they were interviewing Belichick's mom. I believe she's still with us. You know, maybe she's not. I'm not sure. Uh, let me leave that alone. But they asked Miss Jeanette, uh, when did he, I think it was something like, when did he, when did you know he was going to uh, be in football or something like that? And she said when he was two years old. Because the thing is, he, he was always with his dad and trying to do what his dad did. Well, his dad, Steve Belichick, was a scout for, Na for the Naval Academy. And he, he was assistant coach there. So Belichick ends up going to Annapolis High and then off to uh, Wesleyan University. He plays center and tight end. And then eventually, once he graduates, he does want to be a coach, unlike Saban, who was reluctant at first and ended up going into something he really did love. Belichick always loved because he grew up in it, right? He was one of his college coaches. And then the thing along with his father, Steve, they had a plug and they called up Ted Marchabrota, who was the head coach of the, uh, not, I almost said Indianapolis, the Baltimore Colts. This is going back to 1975. Uh, Baltimore Colts, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of on a downturn at that time. Mark Broda is there though, but the job, the job is something that they pretty much had to make up. He's, and Belichick speaks with him. I'm talking about Bill. He talks to Mark Broda. He's like, look, I'm willing to work you know, however many hours in a day that you want me to do, 16, 18 hour days, 
whatever, whatever. And I, I just want to be involved. I'll, I'll do this for you. I'll, I'll, I'll look at film. I'll, I'll go get your coffee. Whatever it is, he, ba he basically wanted to be a part of the football team. He wanted to learn. That was his thing. And he always, everything that I watched and everything that I read, it wasn't about money. It was because he loved football just that much. And I believe it. Well, Marcia Rota took him up on that. Okay, as a 23-year-old, he goes to the Baltimore Colts. And if you look on Pro Football Reference, he's listed as a, and I'm doing the quote fingers, special assistant. He was an intern. Think of an intern out of uh, college. It doesn't get paid diddly poo. And all they do is they, they go to the, the, the airport, uh, run people to the airport. They go get coffee. You know, he's he's running the, the Xerox machine, but he also works on game film, watches game film. He drives the coaches around. He does Xerox copies. I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, the, the Xerox, the printer machine, the copy machine that we have now, the old Xerox machine. We're talking about 1975, right? And so he was getting paid $25 a week, working 14 to 16 hour days. Now, according to, uh, <laughs> well, the GM Joe Thomas is the one who likes Belichick and, and is cool with paying this guy this money for this, 25 to a week. And after taxes, it was actually $21.22. So he was an apprentice slash intern. That's what he did. Um, and at the end of the season, Belichick was wanting to make $50 a week and he asked for a raise. And Joe Thomas said, you know, no way. What was he asking for? For $4,000 a week, I think it was, or or $4,000 period, maybe, I don't know if that was for the year, or $4,000 a week and a car. And Thomas said, no no way. It had to be a week. Um, Detroit did. They just they wanted to pay him that. He ended up getting $10,000 and then a new Thunderbird. And with the Lions, he was the assistant special teams coach, and he also added to that coaching tight ends and wide receivers 78 he was with the broncos and by 79 he was with the new york giants and he, that was his 12 year stay there and from 85 to 90 he was elevated to the defensive coordinator position you know up under bill parcells um they, and that's when they won those two super bowls before i get to that well nick saban meanwhile uh in 75 he was a linebackers coach at kent state by 77, while Belichick is in Detroit, he's at Syracuse coaching linebackers, and then he moves on the next year to coaching defensive backs at West Virginia. Meanwhile, Belichick had went to Denver, you know, while he was at Denver. Um, Ohio State was Saban's next stop when Belichick ends up with the job with the New York Giants. And then in 82 is when they strike up the friendship. Saban ends up with Navy, being an assistant coach at Navy with his father, Steve Belichick. Um, by 83, Saban is gone off to Michigan State, being an assistant coach of, up there between 1983 and 1987. In 88, he finally gets his first NFL job. Uh, I think he was coaching defensive backs as well with the Houston Oilers. Uh, by 1990, he got his first head coaching job with the Toledo Rockets. He only stayed there a year. Obviously, there's a reason why. Belichick, he's a hot defensive assistant, right? He's a hot defensive coordinator. He's got Carl Banks, 
Gary Reasons. Uh, he's got uh, Lawrence Taylor, of course, the Hall of Fame, the greatest defensive player, in my opinion, period, all time. Um, and uh, he also had, what did I say, Pepper Johnson. He, he had a great defense and mainly those linebackers to work with. They had Eric Dorsey, Jim Burt. They had a great defense, the Giants did. And they won it all in 86 and also in 1990. And that was also thanks to a Buffalo missed field goal, Scott Norwood. Anyway, um, 1989, the year before, there's a little known story that goes back to the Cleveland Browns and their, at the time, their GM, Ernie Accorsi. Well, Ernie Accorsi actually was with the Baltimore Colts all the way back, go all the way back to 1970, as a matter of fact. In 1989, you have to remember this, is that the Cleveland Browns, they were kind of, they never should have fired their head coach, Marty Schottenheimer. Never should have happened. And they did anyway. Um, and I'm looking at my little list of notes. Uh, between 1980 and 89, just going from the cardiac kids to the last AFC championship that they actually went to. Ten years, six winning seasons, seven times they went to the playoffs. At 82, they were four and five. You know, they got in, it was the strike year. But Marty Schottenheimer, you had Bernie Kosar eventually, as well as Kevin Mack and Ernest Biner, Webster Slaughter, Ozzie Newsom, Clayton Matthews, Frank Minifield. You know, they had a, a really good team, the Browns did, but they just could not get past the Denver Broncos. And of course, the 1980 Raiders got them, the first wild card to win the Super Bowl. We talked about them last week. Well, by then, they're actually looking for a new head coach. They never should have fired Marty Schottenheimer. And I think the thing was, uh, they went from Sam Rutigliano. They replaced him with Marty Schottenheimer. Uh, Schottenheimer got them to those playoffs, and they was going to those 86, uh, the 86 and the 87 AFC Championship games. They lose to the Broncos both times, the drive, the fumble. And then, according to Terry Prudo, who was with the Cleveland Plain Dealer, okay, Belichick actually asked for an interview um, with the GM at the time, Ernie Accorsi. Of course, he was the PR director going all the way back to that 1970 season when they won it all, Super Bowl V, right? And um, he want, he planned on having an hour lunch with Belichick, and it actually turned into hours because Belichick was extremely prepared, extremely meticulous, and broke down what they needed and, and how they needed to go about being a championship-level team. Bud Carson was the guy that, of course, he wanted to hire, and he actually did hire him. Carson was basically one of those guys that was a lifer as far as being a coordinator. You have guys who are coordinators, you have guys that are head coaches, and you have guys that could be coordinators or quarterback coaches or whatever, and they actually have head coach traits within them. Carson was not that guy. I'll just leave it at that. He was with the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Steel Curtain. He moved on to the Rams and actually coached against his former Steelers team um, when the Rams lost in Super Bowl XIV. He also moved on to places like Baltimore and Kansas City and the New York Jets was his last stop before, of course, he and the Browns, Art Modell, they hired him to be the head coach for the Browns. Well, 9-6-1 uh, was his first year. And he took basically Marty Schottenheimer's team back to the AFC Championship where they got shellacked again by Elway and the Broncos. Parcells, the Giants, you know, they had the two-time Super Bowl champs, you know, and Belichick's the hot commodity. 
and he ends up being hired by Cleveland the next year because the Browns bottom out in 1990 going 3-13. It was really, really bad. And this is when Belichick's head coaching chops really, really got started. So how did it happen? Well, his first coach that he actually hired was Nick Saban. And I quote from NFL Films, Nick was the first coach I hired and the best coach I hired. Uh, This was in 2021. Nick was really my number one partner there, and I relied on him so heavily on every level. Yeah, I was the head coach at Cleveland, but whatever success we had, we wouldn't have achieved without him. And it's true, end quote. It's true. Belichick and Saban, they had met, like I said, back in 1982, 18. 1982 when Belichick was already an assistant with the Giants, and he was in Annapolis visiting his dad, Steve, who was the longtime assistant coach for the Navy and a scout for the Navy football team. Saban's, uh, Saban was Navy's defensive backs coach that year, and the two became friends, and Saban labeled, later credited Belichick with getting him his first NFL job as the defensive backs coach with the Houston Oilers in 1988. And when the Browns hired Belichick, Saban was 39, coming off his first year as coach at Toledo, and Belichick was 38. Um, where the uh, where he led the Rockets to a nine and two record and a share of the MAC Conference Championship. He left Toledo. He didn't want to. Okay, he did not want to. And it was his first head coaching opportunity, but he just could not turn down uh, pretty much a step up when it came to going from Toledo to an NFL team. That was one of those things he made the decision. And it, was, it really was a good decision. He credits his time being with the Cleveland Browns as being, very, well, he says that it was very, very hard because they did work those 15, 16 hour days. Take you all the way back to Belichick when he was with the Colts in 1975. Those same things that he learned to do back then, he would have a slew of guys doing that once he got his staff together. Now, August 5th, 1991 that was the day of the first preseason game for the cleveland browns paul brown the founder who wasn't any longer with the browns organization of course he was with the Bengals by then he died 1991 belichick and and those guys they go six and ten but the defense the year before had allowed the most points that any cleveland brown team in its history had ever allowed 462 points worst in franchise history they were dead last when it came to defensive scoring all right when they allowing all those points 91 with Saban's help they went from last to 14th Michael Dean Perry yes the fridge his brother ended up with eight and a half sacks that year he made the Pro Bowl yeah the other guys that were still hanging around that defense like Clay Matthews and Frank Minifield but they made a lot of changes uh, they fired a lot. Of, well, they let a lot of people go. They did the same thing with some of the players. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. You had Bernie Kosar, who was still there. Kevin Mack. Joe Morris. They bring him in from the New York Giants. Um, and then uh, Kosar actually had a career high 3,487 yards passing that year. Fast forward to the second year. They were a game better at 7-9. They started off 1-3. And, and they finished the season, what, 6-6? Six and six? That's not bad. They were actually playoff contenders. Uh, as far as December, they were 7-6 and six at the time, but they ended up 
on a three-game losing streak. They lost to Detroit, they lost to Houston and Pittsburgh. And again, the defense and Nick Saban and that defense, they got them up to 10th. They were, they were 10th in the league in points allowed. That's pretty good. 93, they repeated that same record at 7-9. And this is after a 5-2 start, though. The thing started off good, but this was the year of shakeup. After the bye week, four L's and a 2-7 finish. They had signed, Belichick had brought in Vinny Testaverde. Testaverde was supposed to be better than Bernie Kosar. Now, Kosar, if you don't know about Bernie Kosar, this guy was a guy that kind of drew plays up in the dirt. He had that freedom through Marty Schottenheimer uh, to say, look, and even as a rookie, this guy was doing that. If the play doesn't work, get us into a good play. Belichick, you have to understand this, the mindset of Belichick. Him coming from being, let's just say, around the Naval Academy. You have soldiers that are playing football. They take orders. You do what we say, how we say it, when we say it, right? Discipline. Okay, for the most part, they were all disciplined. Well, you get to regular football. I mean, he did coach Lawrence Taylor, who's showing up to practice with handcuffs and probably a little coke on his mustache. Talk about undisciplined. But he wanted things done a certain way. And he did not like, even though there were good results with Bernie Kosar, he was like, this guy is basically going against what I'm telling him to do. I want him to do it my way, and he won't do it. So basically, he told Art Modell and others, he's got to go. He's got to go. He should not have, but then too, there was the diminished skills quote, right? Was he right? Yeah. Kosar's arm was weakening, but he still was effective. I just have to say that they won a lot of the games that they that he started. Well, they won a lot of those games that he was a part of, but you know, he started them, then he was benched, then he would start them, then he would bench them. And like I said, he would change the, the plays and all that stuff. And then after they they actually uh, cut him loose, Testaverde, and then they was down to also Testaverde and Ty Wilcox. The fans wanted him gone, but watch this. Kosar goes is with the Cowboys and ends up actually playing hero when Troy Aikman gets knocked out with a head injury concussion. One one of the many concussions that would in, uh, eventually lead to him having to retire a little premature back in 2000. But they end up going to the Super Bowl. Aikman does start. He was terrible in the Super Bowl. But if it wasn't for Evan Smith, I mean, Smith got them that ring. Um but uh, I mean, he got him a ring. He's a former Cleveland Brown that got him a ring. That was pretty good. Uh, but 1994 was actually the year. And the, the key is, is, is the staff that he had. Not only was it saving, you had an offensive line coach, Kirk Ferentz. Yes, I was head coach now. Eric Mangini who ended up with the Patriots in New York and in Cleveland as a head coach. He was an offensive assistant or whatever you want to call him. Jim Schwartz, who's the defensive coordinator now for the Browns. He was a scout and it was just called him a scrub. Pat Hill, the longtime Fresno State head coach. He coached offensive line and tight ends. And then the front office, yet Ozzie Newsom, who's already, you know, a, a Hall of Fame tight end, but he's a Hall of Fame executive as well. Um, Scott Pioli, who would eventually go to New England along with Belichick, and they racked up some rings together. Mike Lombardi. And they had some guys all over the place that they were all young. 
and it just you know they hadn't reached that level of fame yet right they were being the grunts they were the 1975 bill belichicks okay then they brought in guys like pepper johnson and carl banks pep he made the pro bowl that year they had six pro bowls which was a part of belichick's plan of how you win championships six pro bowlers four all pros you had uh tackle tony jones and michael dean perry who was second team all pros and they had first team all pros like eric metcalf loved him as a running back uh, even in in uh tech mobile and then eric turner the safety he think he picked off like nine passes for almost 200 yards 199 to be exact they had a really good defense they had a pretty decent team even though testaverde threw more interceptions than touchdowns they made it work they went to the wild card they won a playoff game for the longest before Baker Mayfield and them beat my Steelers, what, three years ago? Three, yeah, about three years ago. They hadn't won a playoff game since this playoff game I'm talking about right now. They beat the New England Patriots 20 to 13. Really, they made the big stop. And then uh, Belichick is, is all over the forehead of Nick Saban, who's got those crazy looking glasses on. <laughs> so uh, they, they, they beat New England and Bill Parcells. So. And then the next week, I mean, they go out and lose to Pittsburgh, uh, who they already lost to twice in the regular season. So Pittsburgh made it three. Uh, Lewis Riddick was on that team uh, for the Browns, playing defensive back. They picked off New England three times. Uh, I think it was uh, uh, Drew Bledsoe. Picked him off three times, and Lou had one of them. Um, but, yeah, defensively, this was the last year Nick Saban was there. He was hired by Michigan State. But he told them, look, you want me? Okay, cool. But I'm staying the rest of the season. I'm not leaving right now. We got something going. And it was a good, it was a good thing that he stayed. Um, but they were first. They went from last to first with Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. It, 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 was, it was great. It was great. Bel, uh, Nick Saban being the defensive coordinator and the former defensive coordinator, um, you know, Bill Belichick. And these guys, they, they did what they needed to do. But 1995, they were actually the Super Bowl pick out of the AFC. They were the Super Bowl pick. They started off three and one. They were first, first in their division. And they finished the season five and 11. That was because Saban had already gone to Michigan State. Defense fell all the way from first to 20. There has to be a correlation, right? Art Modell, I think, was the wrench that was thrown in the entire thing. This guy, he, he basically told told his people, we're moving to Baltimore. We've talked about that. Yeah, you know, the city didn't want to build him a new stadium and he had debts and things like that. He won't fix the old Cleveland Municipal or I'm out. He's, he already, you know, it, it was terrible. That messed the entire franchise up. I, and I believe that a thousand to ten percent. I think they would have been a lot better had Modell not said anything until the end of the season, maybe. But he told them, you know, kind of mid-season, and uh, I think by by week ten they were four and four, and they ended up finishing the season one and seven. And the one win that they did have during that stretch was in week sixteen. Their next to last game was at home at Cleveland Municipal, the final home game where they're sawing off pieces of the stadium and the seats and all that stuff and it was a 26-10 win uh against the cincinnati Bengals. and uh at the end of the season they fired belichick of course they moved away 
And what was ironic about all of it is that, you know, you had Ozzy Newsome and all this. Uh, they ended up, the, the, the Ravens ended up winning winning it all a couple years later. Isn't that crazy? You know, and not to mention, you fire Bill uh, Belichick. He and Scott Piola, they end up going to New England, and then there's the dynasty. Go figure. Cleveland got their team back. We know now, obviously, if you haven't listened before and if you don't already know, they, they ended up tearing the old Cleveland Municipal Stadium down, and they used the remnants of that, you know, for, um, I think it was uh, for, like, the banks of the river or whatever, but they built a new stadium. First Energy is in the exact same spot. And uh, they got to keep their name and their colors and the records and all that. Baltimore is Baltimore. You know, y'all, yeah, you go ahead. You take that, take the players, take the shell, but you got to leave all of the history behind. And that was a good, that was a good uh, trade-off. I think that was a good trade-off. Um, but <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty crazy the way that that whole team was put together. And the two, two of the greatest coaches of all time were on the same staff. But if you, in the end, um, the Browns organization at one time, you know, you got some of the greatest collection of talent on the coaching and the coaching staff and the front office that was assembled, but they were just too young. It wasn't time yet. Along with Kirk Ferentz and Eric Mangini and Scott Pioli and uh, Ozzie Newsom, all these, you know, these all these young guys, they became GMs and head coaches and coordinators, et cetera. I didn't know Bill Belichick had asked Ozzie Newsom to, to play one more year or whatever it was, keep playing. Ozzie had already hung it up after the 1990 season, but he had him coaching and scouting and all that stuff. That's how it began. It was with um, what was with Bill Belichick. And so but who knew? Perhaps the, the greatest pro football head coach and college head coach would be on the same staff. I thought that I always think that's kind of stuff is just really really cool in uh hindsight it's truly 2020 references that's it thanks to espn.com profootballreference.com also uh scenes of nick saban a road trip through the career of college football's top coach this was by the athletic college football staff january 16 2024 also cnbc.com cnbc we call it it's called make it Bill Belichick got his first job in the NFL at age 23. It paid $25 a week. Published Thursday, January 31st, 2019. Also a book, Vintage Browns. That was by Terry Pluto. Also a football life, Nick Saban. And also a football life. This was the 2009 two-part series, Bill Belichick. Finally, my eyes, my ears, and brain. This has been the Behind the Mic Podcast. I, again, I'm your host, Michael Jr. The show is presented by Belly Up Sports, Belly Up Media, the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. Go to bellyupsports.com. Check us out. You can catch us all on our home base of Megaphone. Also, the favorites, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Tell all your friends and family about my show or I'll find your house. I'm out.